0: July 27th, 2020. This is Rook. The Armenian community around the world and inside Iran has been so consistently talented when it comes to arts and creativity that it's hardly a surprise when someone of Armenian background is flush with artistic talent but their story can still be surprising and fascinating. Imagine a nine-year-old Christian kid playing the organ in church in Tehran in the 1970s. That kid ends up leaving Iran and becoming a well-known rock performer, a songwriter, and a producer working with some of the biggest names in American and Iranian music. Today, Ervin Khachikian joins us on finding success in the West and returning to his Persian music roots. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rock. Uh, There, welcome to episode number 30 Number 30 of Rook Salam, Dostana, Aziz We have uh, Ervin coming up, a master musician, a songwriter, producer Producer of the likes of Siyabashi Gomeshi Hi Shai Jun Oh Groovy Jun Hello It's a very, um it's a very dark version of our theme. Yeah. It's Almost a, disturbing.
1: I want to imagine how if I play organ in a church, how the Ah <laughs> you were tying it into Aravin, <laughs> yeah.
0: the nine year old playing the organ in the church yeah, in Tehran. Yeah. Um Wow, let's let's hear a bit more of that then. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. All right. Thank you. It doesn't sound like church. Uh, thirty episodes, man. Yes. Sita episode. What's your favorite? <laughs> 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 Sorry. I, I uh, uh, oh, you're going to uh, answer.
1: Yes, it's like you know, it's like I- I'm seeing the growing of our family, and it's mm-hmm. very. Uh, uh, yes, mm-hmm. I love each episode more than the last one.
0: That's well. That's a lovely answer. And the growing family now now has thirty children in it. Yes. And the house is <laughs> bursting at the seams. <laughs> Uh, we had a big week Last week If anyone hasn't heard The Shali uh, Zomorodi episode It was a week ago today Please check that out And Mansour Farhang From a few days ago We're getting a bunch of Uh, comments about that uh we'll of course cover them all on thursday at our letters of the week uh, segment Um, but you can check these interviews and more out on our new website rookmedia.com rookmedia.com i also wanted to um at the top of the show today uh thank the folks at uh Proud. This is a website called Iran Proud. I want to thank them for supporting us and posting our episodes. I think we're up on their front page now, their main page. This is a a website where you can see all kinds of Persian movies, TV series, clips. And um, honestly, like Rastashabegam, almost all of them are in Farsi. So we're stoked that they have been posting our little program. Thanks to uh, Amir Soleimani and uh, his team over there. Uh, That's IranProud.com. Um, I saw a new video there that featured Babak Amini mm-hmm. on the site today, and uh, Babak may be appearing, Shia. He may be appearing Ooh, on a little awesome. program wow. called. Well, I didn't say what program. Yeah. It is yet. No, no, no. But you, you're happy that he's appearing anywhere. <laughs> you like Babak. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. yeah. He may be appearing on a little show called Rook in the coming days. I don't know. <laughs> it's just a rumor. We'd have to. Uh, we'll have to find out. How was your weekend? It was pretty well. Um, uh,
1: how was the immersive? Im, 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 the in Van Gogh. Van Gogh yeah.
0: uh, uh, did you watch? You saw that on my Facebook yes, or something? Yes, Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tell you about it. <laughs> um, I went to this uh, Van Gogh, the famous the, yeah. the artist, a Van Gogh immersive exhibition. This was its, um, the world premiere is happening right now in mm-hmm. Toronto. Uh, it's based mm-hmm. on a show that happened in Paris, I think called uh, Atelier des, des Lumiere. Uh, But it's inaugural version here in Toronto. And basically you go into this, uh, first of all, I loved it. I loved it. That's why I'm happy to answer this question. You go into this cavernous space, 600,000 cubic feet, uh, and all around you, the walls, the floors, um, you're immersed in giant projections that highlight brush stroke and detail and color of Van Gogh's works. It's constantly moving, and there's this soundtrack that goes along with it. Uh, the soundtrack is brilliant, uh, it, it's that, from-
1: I, I was going to ask how is the sound? No, the the,
0: the soundtrack sound. makes it. It's like Bach and, and wow. Tom York. It's really, those are part of it. <laughs> right. It's it's just beautiful. Wow. Uh, it's breathtaking, it's, it's mesmerizing. What was actually significant for me is how you do an art exhibit in the time of covid right mm-hmm. so i mean we're trying to figure this out with for example playing musical concerts like what what are we what are you going to do what are we, how are you going to play a gig so this is so this was interesting first of all everyone's wearing masks uh-huh. i told you it's a big space then they have these circles projected onto the floor uh-huh. like uh maybe a meter wide or a little bit bigger than that. And each person or, or couple or group of friends or family stand in one circle. Uh-huh. And then as people leave one circle, you can stand in another one if you want. You can just choose whichever circle you want to stand in in this cavernous space. And actually, it was such a refreshing way to experience the art without any kind of interruption or crowd you know it was it was almost like a dream getting to stand in this space van gogh all around you this amazing sound system piping in this music wow. and you no one's disturbing you there's nobody pushing you or trying to get through or or blocking your view or something like that so it was a, a circumstance and an innovative approach that would actually not have been possible or considered without the current pandemic, you know, so despite the horror of what COVID has done, and we, you know, we have to say that, I mean, continues what it continues to do to our friends, our fellow global citizens here in, in, in North America, back in Iran, there is something to be said about the inspiration that comes from human ingenuity you know <laughs> yes. that 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 somebody came up with this idea and this van gogh exhibit is more inspired i think yeah. than it it may have been otherwise That's it's interesting it's yeah. certainly not just like walking into a museum or a art gallery and looking on the wall it's mm-hmm. something much you should go
1: yeah, yeah i definitely go this week
0: i will go again with you i mean oh it's great. Oh, it's, like, uh, it's some people have suggested that you may want to um uh <laughs> you yeah, you may want to actually ingest or smoke or do, do, do take <laughs> something to enhance your experience oh. because it's kind of trippy. Whoa. I don't know if that's your I, I your rather, thing.
1: Yeah, I rather to go for first time I would rather to go,
0: you know. Oh, naturel. Yes, sure. Yes. Yeah, I mean that it's believe me, it's good enough that you don't need that kind of enhancement. For sure. But yes. I'm suggesting that <laughs> some have suggested <laughs> that it's, it's trippier uh, with that as well. Cool. Well, let's get to our feature guest, yes. shall we, sir? Yours. Merci. Sir. Uh, you, you've got the music queued up? Yes. All right. Take a listen to this. Jahonaman, they do not talk. Do you know what I'm saying?
1: Ruby Ruyan, you've been a whole year to come. Put us <laughs> here, let me know. Jahonaman to You yes, a
2: little
0: taste of Jahan and man. That's a brand new single released last month with Niazan Navob and Ervin Khachikyan. Ervin is an Iranian-Armenian-American musician, songwriter, singer, and producer. And if you don't know his name right away, you have likely heard his work... Whether it has been performing with the hard rock sounds of Serge Tankion and the FCC, who Ervin played with, forming an Armenian supergroup of sorts for a while. The poetic musical stylings of Siavash who Ervin worked with for years and musically arranged. The, the pop of Martik, who Ervin produced, or his own solo work with Carmandon. And Ervin's own story is a fascinating one, of being born in Iran before the revolution, the son of a church pastor who played organ in the church in Tehran, then came to the United States as a teen in the 1980s, only to follow his musical dreams and pursue a path that has brought him to stages around the world. Ervin's latest EP with Niaza Nawab is called Terminal One. It was released last year, and right now, Erwin Khachikian joins me from Vancouver, Canada. Hello, sir.
3: Hello,
2: sir.
0: <laughs> Thanks for having me. Very, very good to have you on the show. You know, what's weird is you're the, I know you as the Los Angeles guy, but you're currently in Vancouver, in Canada, where you have been since COVID hit these shores. Uh, you're basically sequestered in Canada, which let's face it, there could be uh, worse places to be stuck. What happened? What, what brings you to Canada for so long?
3: Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be uh, interviewed by you. Um, so, you know, we were in Toronto early March for a uh, show that we had that was organized by Tiergon Festival. And uh, when we we're done with the show, uh, two days later, uh, US uh, didn't allow any more uh, Europeans to go back to the States and since i was there with niaz and she doesn't hold a u.s passport at the moment we thought maybe a week maybe two weeks we'll stay in toronto and uh, while the borders open and next thing you know it's been four months that we've been in uh, the beautiful canada which uh, you know interestingly about a year ago we were discussing possibly moving to canada or you know exploring some options here so kind of uh, the corona even though it uh, brought maybe uh it discomforted a lot of people but it in some ways it really worked out uh, to the best uh, given our uh, situation
0: it's got to be strange for you i mean you're you're displaced when you came to do i know you had a gig with the you had a couple of gigs with niaz she was coming from france you were coming from la where you normally live um and so you you were going to do a couple of shows and i and i suppose move back to la so you couldn't have packed for four months when you left los angeles four months ago right <laughs> true
3: you know we we only packed for you know three days you know you only have uh Three personal items and like couple of jeans and shirts, but you know, you very quickly you learn that you don't really need more than that to survive, and uh, you really need don't need all your the clothes that the media or you know the fashion world makes you buy. Right. You really don't need all of those, you know, and uh, so you know, it was a nice adjustment. I'm being a musician. We've I think uh, all the musicians relate to this that you know you learn how to. Uh, make make the best of the situation or impro- you know improvise, life on improvise, basically.
0: Everyone, is it strange being in Canada right now as the COVID cases uh, astronomically climb again in the United States and particularly even in California and Los Angeles where you're normally based? Have you been in touch with people there?
3: Yeah, everybody's just, um, everybody is staying indoors. People are not seeing each other, and uh, they're jealous of what I'm doing here because uh, gratefully Vancouver is one of the best places, like you mentioned. So, um, you know, I'm happy to be here, but I'm also sad for my for not being able to see my nieces and my family.
0: So you and Niaz stuck in Canada or staying in Canada for the last four months. Has it been a productive time?
3: Absolutely. Uh, the two homes that were... Uh, hosting us we've we turned uh one of the rooms into a studio got a vocal mic right away uh, treated the vocal booth and you know we have our laptop and the logic uh, program and we've been writing and recording
0: so the, the these homes that you've been staying in this is the benevolent persians helping you out yep yeah. Very nice. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, yeah. So so that song we played off the top with with Niaz and Abba, that's you. uh, That's one side of you. I mean, you are a bit of a musical chameleon uh, from the hard rock stylings of Serge Tankion, the system of the down guy and his band, to your songs with Silvashik to the alternative sounds of Rana Mansour, to the pop rock you're you're playing now. Uh, Is there an Irvin sound?
3: Uh, the sound that I have is—it's is, more uh, you can hear it more in the stuff that I did for Carmandon. Uh That's that's me basically in the singing uh, and saying things that are happening in my head, you know, and uh, without thinking of any marketing. Um, that's my true sound, you know, what I do with Carmandon, you know. But, you know, we evolve, you know, we as, as people, we evolve. And as soon as we say, oh, this is my sound or this is my style, then you get stuck there. But so <laughs> I like to, you know, change. I like to think of new ways. And I think uh, it helps me improve as a person and as a musician.
0: The, if I think about the music you make with Carmen Dawn, which is your your solo project for the most part, I have to say, I mean, with the exception of some Iranian hip hop artists, especially those who kind of take very Western templates and just kind of rap Iranian Farsi style over top of them. You're one of the most Western sounding Iranian songwriters and and musicians I've encountered, at least one who grew up in Iran. You seem way more influenced by the likes of... um, I mean, I don't even know your exact influences, but I would guess some mixture of the the, the Stones, Metallica, and Elton John, more so than sure. Darius or Shahjariyan. So, so tell me about that. How did that happen?
3: Well, when I grew up in Iran, as you mentioned, I, I grew up in a uh, Christian uh, in church environment, and you know, I was playing the organ for the congregation since I was nine, ten years old. And you know, the church hymns have a particular chord structure that is more western than eastern and I think that early on it it helped me uh, hear uh, different chord progressions and I remember when I was listening to uh, Iranian classical music when I was younger I would always hear bass notes changing all over uh, Mm -hmm. those uh, riffs that they were playing and I was always wondering why are they not changing the chord why are they just staying on the one and the five the whole time so I, over the years, you know, I did enough, uh, you know, I sat behind the computer and the, the keyboard and I came up with all these inversions and different ways of coloring the melodies. So I think that uh, that alongside with, you know, some successes that I had early on with uh, uh, people like Siavesh Komenshi, artists like Siavesh I uh, I learned how to implement those chords And those voicings, specifically voicings into the Eastern uh, music, and and it worked, and it clicked with people like you. And on the other side, there's people that say, "Oh, what is this?" (laughs) You know. So, so we're, you know, we. I think you and I, we come from the same background. That's why we relate and we connect to this kind of. progressions. I corporate. do ver- I
0: do very much connect to, to, to your music and I want to get into that story of you the little kid playing the organ in, in, in the church in Tehran in the in the 70s and into the 80s. Uh, I should say you are the first uh, Iranian of Armenian background we've had on the show. I hope I hope we'll have oh, many, what an honor. many more, I hope. There's an expectation or an assumption, especially in musical circles, as I've always known it, that there is a disproportionate wealth of talent when it comes to music and the arts in the Armenian community. Uh, that in fact, if, if, if say, uh, an Iranian singer in the United States is looking for musicians to play Persian music, they, they can often be found in the Armenian community. Is that true? And, and if so, why would that be?
3: Um, I think a few factors um, impacted this. And one of them was uh, early on, maybe 30 years ago, 40 years ago, uh, the Iranian community was not encouraged to play the organ. They were not discouraged from playing the drums or the guitar or the bass. They were, they were more uh, encouraged to play the tar and the camoncheh. And and but if you're an Armenian, they it was okay. It was actually cool that you played the drums, you know. And I think our community in Iran actually was encouraged uh, to to take on this role. Where if you're an Iranian Muslim and if you had if you played the drums, maybe that was satanic, you know. But if you were Christian, it was exempt. you know. <laughs> so I think that encouraged us to improve. And uh, but, you know, I, I, I like to, you know, say that there's so much talent in Iran now because of the internet past 15, 20 years, right. people have opened their doors and they've, they're hearing the radio heads, they're, they're hearing the, all the good music that is out there. And there's, I can say, there's a lot of talent. There's probably more uh, talent coming uh, outside the Armenian community than inside the Armenian community. And the, you know, the Iranians have really improved. And so I think it was kind of a, a social uh, thing that Armenians happened to be in the right place at the right time.
0: You grew up. You were a little kid in the '70s with a, a church pastor as a dad. And you've, you've said that being Armenian. Uh, meant a different life inside, inside the home, than outside on the streets. Uh, What does that mean? How how so?
3: So, uh, you know, being in an Armenian uh, household, or, you know, we we had our own schools, which were all Armenians and Christians, and we would go to church, and then, you know, but then you would be, obviously, you have to walk from church to home, and the, the, the attitude of People that you would like, you know, you saw in the taxi, or you saw at the stores, at the bakeries, you know, you 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 did take that they were a bit more, they were different than the way you were being raised and they would know that hey this guy is uh, Armenian or he's great and he's different you know so you do get treated differently and sometimes most of the time we were really welcomed in many places in iran you know which i'm really grateful for the community and the government for accepting us uh, as a as a non-iranian uh, background uh, to be to be living in the country so you know you early on i realized that you know we're different and um, later on, when we even moved to America, I realized that we were, we were even still more different. <laughs> we we're <laughs> right. nor, not Armenian. We're not even, We're not Persian. We're not even American. But uh, I think it 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 helps you to uh, stand on on yourself uh, by you know as you are. You know, like Sting says, it says. It takes a man to suffer ignorance and smile. So you learn how to be ignored and still smile and say, "You know what? Uh, This is who I am, and this is what I am. You know, I'm different, but you know, at least I'm myself." You know.
0: Tell me about your musical uh, awakening when you were a kid in Iran, too. I mean, you. you (laughs) I remember you telling me this story about how you were your first fascination with the seductive nature of music was playing the piano at the age of nine and realizing that girls would like you if you did. Yeah. What What do you remember about that?
3: So I was playing in the basement of the church and I just realized, okay, D minor goes to G minor and if it goes to the C major and the F major, it's like, wow, like I had just realized that <laughs> that circle, you know, and I was just playing that for maybe 10 minutes and I looked up and I was I was maybe 12 back then, 11, and I saw these 16, 17-year-old girls all are just like standing next to the piano and just, they're like giving me giving all this attention. There I had like little mustache, you know, and <laughs> I was like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> I you, want to do this for the rest of my life.
0: You had a mustache?
3: So, you know, yeah, I was more like 11. This okay, all right, I, all
0: right, yeah. a big 11-year-old yeah. mustache, yeah, okay. Big 11-year-old, yeah. <laughs> So, you know,
3: it was a good awakening, as you said. You know, you decided, I, I, you know, I, I knew I wanted to be in the entertainment, you know. I knew I wanted to, you know, somehow entertain people. And I saw that seed in me, and I just kept uh, watering it and, uh, you know, nurturing it.
0: Did your parents encourage a career in music?
3: No. I, I remember the first gig that I did in in L.A., um, they took me out for dinner, and I knew something was up. <laughs> so they said, you know, uh, you know, if, if you want to be in music, there's this problem, there's drug issues, there's hard to sustain a family, you'll be traveling, blah, blah, blah. And I said, great, you know, fair enough, parents, I will go to school. So I, I finished, uh, I got a bachelor's in psychology, and I started getting into uh, finishing my uh, master's, where I got a phone call from a pop artist, And uh, I just closed my books and I knew I wanted to uh, be a musician. You know, the first gig, the big gig that I did was in Toronto and it was a 2,500 sold out show. And um, I I knew that's what I wanted to do. So I I never finished my master program, but uh, at least I kept my parents happy for a couple of years
0: are they happy now, now that you've carved out a successful career and performed on The Tonight Show and worked with Sia and all that?
3: Yeah, I, I saw that uh, there's, the, I invited them to the Greek show that I was playing uh, one time back mid-90s, you know, and it was a 6,000-seated venue and i gave them front row and they were sitting there and I saw their smile, you know they were happy, and you <laughs> yeah. know people went and recognized them, you know and so you know I think uh, they changed their mind after after a few years.
0: Let me ask you, Ervin, because uh it's it's normal or it's it's uh not a surprise when a first generation kid uh migrate I mean, the family migrates and the kid has trouble. Uh, I certainly went through it uh, feeling like an outsider wondering how they fit in where they fit in, et cetera um but it's almost like you had a head start because you said that you didn't totally fit in when you were in Iran. So you moved to the United States in the late 80s and you end up settling in Southern California for the next few decades. Uh, Did being an an Armenian in Iran somehow prepare you for being different than other kids when you, teenagers when you would arrive in America?
3: Yeah, I think so. Uh, I I think it subconsciously prepared me to know how to stand in a corner where you don't fit or you don't know certain rules of how to behave in a a certain home setting, you know. I think, yeah, I think it made uh, my, uh, give me a thicker skin to, um, to survive
0: do you think about or does it matter to you in terms of the way you self-identify now do you self-identify as as Iranian or Armenian or American
3: <laughs> I, you know I'm, I, I'm more Iranian than Armenian almost f- I have more Iranian friends per- Farsi speaking friends than Armenian speaking friends of uh, I mean that that is a few reasons there's a 90 Million uh, population of Iranians and there's maybe not even ten million. Right. So obviously, I'm you know I see more Iranians, uh, but I think I relate more to the Iranian culture than the Armenian. There's some Armenian values that I that I like, and uh,
0: but you spent most of your life living in the United States. Uh,
3: exactly. So <laughs> I don't know what I am anymore. You know, I, I don't know. There's Obviously, there's certain things in the American uh, culture that I really value. And I think I, it's just uh, without uh, uh, categorizing things as good or bad or American, Iranian, you know, you learn how to pick up uh, the good in every culture and you make it your brand. You become the best of the combination of all of, of, all of those worlds.
0: It's interesting because you come to public consciousness as an artist, as a musician, uh, not for playing Persian music uh, or being from the Iranian community, but uh, for Western-style rock. I mean, you might say your first big break is when Serge Tankian of the massively successful rock band System of the Down invites you to join his solo project and tour uh, in the mid-1990s, and you continue to do that for, for many years. How did he find you? Was that some kind of Armenian brotherhood thing?
3: Uh, we were another project uh, early 2000, um, 2000 to 2003. I was in a band called Slow Motion Rain, uh, where we were all also all, all Armenians uh, in the band uh, from all from Glendale and searched, uh, like uh, liked our material and he, he invited us to be on his label. So him and I started back in the early 2000. Our relationship uh, just grew, grew, you know, grew stronger over the years. You know, sharing songs, uh, you know, or just sharing a few laughs here and there. And uh, I remember 2008. I, I left uh, Slow Motion Rain, and I and I called him up. I said, "Listen, I'm done with this band. I, we're having some internal problems. I've had it." And he said, "You know what? Uh, give me a month." and the next month he called me up He said you know what i'm gonna have decided to leave system and i i want my solo thing and i would love for you to be part of it and so you know it was it was a easy transition because we had already worked together Uh, i was the only armenian in the in in his solo project uh you know but i i don't think it really matters you know but uh, it was you know we had a great lineup we had larry lalonde from uh, primus uh, as other guitar player and Dan Monty, who uh, produces albums for a, uh, Buckethead.
0: You play guitar, but yep. you're you, in this band, you're playing keys, right?
3: I was playing keys, yeah. yeah. My let, main instrument is a piano. Let me yep. play a
0: little taste of you performing live with Serge Tankian and the FCC. This is, I think, I mean, I think we found this on YouTube somewhere. This is from London. This is in the UK in 2010. little bit of Serge Tankian in the FCC yeah, that's crazy. with Ervin khachikian playing it. Do you remember that gig? Do you remember what that what, what are you playing there?
3: Yeah that was just an improv thing that we did on the spot without uh, planning it. It was uh, we just decided to surprise uh, one another and we just picked a chord progression you know standard chord progression and we just uh, rolled
0: what did you learn from him coming, you know, uh, performing in a band with a guy who's just come off uh, this being in a, in a massively successful, internationally successful rock band? What did you learn from working with Serge Tankian?
3: Uh, he, first of all, he's a very humble person uh you would think from the outside that he's this guy that has a lot of uh, anger and energy and just but on, to the contrary he's very soft you know he's very relaxed what i learned the most from him is that how he would end projects or end let's say he would you know with us musicians you know we could be mixing a song for months you know it never ends or we would be working on the guitar riff forever. But yeah, I love the fact that how he would say, okay, enough, we're done, close it. And once that folder was closed, he never reopened it. Hmm. Now, I think we're we're in a world of digital, endless um, revisions and things, and we a lot of musicians get stuck in that mode. And what I learned from him is to constantly keep going and to constantly uh, finish and go to the next song and not hanging on to things for a long time and which is apparent in his own projects as well. He's constantly active, he's constantly doing new album, new um, you know new ideas and he knows how to uh, finish and close projects, close folders.
0: I really like this idea of you said to know when to close the folder. I think that doesn't just apply to music, Ervin. I think that sure. that applies to all manner of creativity or even life. You know when when you got to know when to fold them, <laughs> know when to yeah. hold them, know when to fold them, right? Uh, you know, know yeah. when to walk away, uh, know when to uh, finish your project, or, or that it's the moment to stop. I know writing a book can be that way, or or certainly songwriting has always been that way, um, where people. There's folks that we both know who will uh, keep work carving out a song for for a year, and yeah. uh, and it it doesn't even it's not getting better at that point. It's just uh, so that's a really interesting thing to learn, and it's a great talent to be able to know when to yeah. walk
3: away. And it's interesting that you said that it's not only it doesn't pertain only to music. It's 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 a, a reflection on of how you do other things. A friend of mine that I am staying at his house or hosting in Vancouver, he says, "How you do anything is how you do everything." Of course, it's a famous uh, quotation, but he brought it to my attention, and it's uh, and I think it's true. It's like how you how you do anything, how you close chapters, or how you decide, okay, this is it's done, it's carved out, it's fine. I'm ne- I'm going to close it. Is how you you know it 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 it's both for songs and being creative and in your own personal life. You're absolutely right.
0: So by the early two thousands, you're you're touring with Serge Tankian in the FCC. You've also formed your own band as you talked about, and then you get what can be considered your other big break. As, far as as I mean, as far as Iranians are concerned, I think, and that is that you end up producing and arranging two big albums in the early two thousands. By Sia Komeshi and you perform on tour with him as for many years as well. How did that happen?
3: It it happened by accident. Uh, I was in a I was visiting a recording studio in Glendale, and uh, the phone rang. and The engineer, the owner of the studio, was uh, was behind the Mackie board, and it was fixing some cables. and He asked me to pick up the phone, and it was Siavash Homeshi and uh, we just talked. And uh, honestly, back then, I didn't know who he was. I only had heard one of his songs uh, that I could remember the melody, but I didn't know who he was. But he was just this Iranian artist that spoke fluent English. And we shared uh, some, we talked about Super Tramp, and next thing you know, we're talking about Kitaro, a a, you know Japanese guitar player and instrumentalist. So, you know, we realized that we had a lot of musical uh, things in common, and then so he invited me to his house, and he showed me a song on the piano that he had just written called Nerop hmm. and I suggested some chords uh, alternatives, and I asked him, you know, maybe one or two notes could be bent this way or that way, and it was like, "Wow, well, do you want to arrange, and I said, I said, arrange what? He said, do you want to produce this, just take it, <laughs> here's the melody, here's the lyrics, go, go with it, so I came home, and um, uh, obviously i was excited and nervous because i didn't know what to be you know i had never arranged anything in my life before and i had a, a keyboard cork triton <laughs> the musicians might remember that keyboard yep, and i, I remember, remember i sat down and i and i just back then i was listening to a lot of enigma and deep forest and smoking a lot of pot back then, (laughs) so I just combined all of that, and I just arranged something in a week, and I showed it to him, and he loved it, and he said, do you want to do the next song, do you want to do the next song, next thing you know, we had seven songs that became part of an album called Nerob and even, you know, back then, I didn't know how, how much of a big, uh, it took me years to realize what an impact it had. Like I still have kids from Iran, 17, 16, 17-year-olds 17 that were not even born when that album came out that they write me and they say, "Oh my god, this is amazing." <laughs>
0: let me let me hold you there and play a little bit of the song Niqab by Silvashikomeshi from the album of the same name in 2002 produced and arranged by Ervin Khachakian.
1: Hey Bozika, gerya nakon ما هممون مثل همین صبا که از خواب میشیم نقاب به صورت نزنیم یکی معلم میشه و یکی میشه خونه به دوش یکی ترانه ساز میشه یکی میشه به فرو
0: The song Negob. My dad's cousin, (laughs) Siavashikome Shi. What a small world. The small world. The same name, album of the same name in 2002. I'm speaking with Ervin Khachikian, the producer and arranger of that song and that album. You know, the, the part of the story that I love of him inviting you to his house and is how uh, forward, how poor you are, you know, you, you start going, wow. ah, you know, I think the song would work better like this. Uh, I guess not knowing yeah. that he's Siavashogomenshi, not that that should, you know, prevent you from giving your input, but it's that's a very funny yeah. part of the story.
3: Well, I think, you know, I knew that that's what he wanted, you know, I, I, I could see that he wanted a fresh, uh, fresh idea and he wanted a, and, you know, I, I didn't think maybe, maybe I'd be reluctant to, to do that now. But uh, I think it's, you know, it, it was good that I was just, you know, spoke my mind.
0: Did you guys bond over um marijuana because i uh, if, you're, if you if you were smoking a lot of pot at that time i i i, I think that it's fair to guess that Siavash, uh, from what i i know has uh, has um enjoyed the effervescence over the years as well
3: <laughs> I can't speak on his behalf but yeah we've had good times and even now you know we get together and we share a few laughs and play our songs for one another uh yeah i think uh we built a um a good bond uh, a working relationship you know, A, wor- a relationship working relationship because of music yeah <laughs>
0: right right tell me yeah. uh, i asked you what you learned from um serge Tankian. Uh, uh, tell me what you what you've learned by working with cfsh gomeshi uh,
3: i learned how to um take Lyrics from my own project. I learned how to think outside the box. I think before Siavash, probably most of the lyrics that people uh, put out there in the Persian pop scene, they were just love songs. And uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll take that back because uh, it's not true. But at least in the pop scene, it was. Even now, most of the things are about love and just the cliche things. And from Siavash, I learned, well, Nehav, Nehav means mask. Oh my God, who would think about writing a song about a mask? You know, who would, you know, Siavash has a song talk, which is, it's about a tree trunk. Like who would talk about a tree trunk? You know, who would talk about a tree? And the way uh, he would take his imagination, uh, I, I learned a lot about uh, about finding the right lyrics and most of his lyrics are very simple, but very powerful. So I learned how to uh, do that from him. And I'm grateful for Yadmo who wrote most of the lyrics for those, uh, those two albums.
0: Is it interesting for you, having worked in um, Western music, that it's not abnormal in... Uh, Iranian music or with Iranian bands and artists to have a lyricist who's not in the group who's not embedded who's not the artist themselves I mean it would be very surprising Uh, for Springsteen I I don't know if he's done it very often Bruce Springsteen to to sing a song that where the lyrics are written by another artist or you know U2 or Coldplay or Radiohead or the the kind of artists that that um, are are born and bred in the in the in the West are almost expected that they not the singers necessarily not Celine Dion but anyone from Beyonce to uh, to Bowie are usually the lyricists for their own music that's not the case in Persian music music and I wonder about the differences you've learned about working in the Western music industry or the Western music scene versus the Persian music scene
3: I think um, most of uh, most of the pop artists um, in the American or the the global markets they don't write their own lyrics like the pop ones.
2: That's the super, true. Super that's super ones. Yes. They,
3: they don't write their lyrics. And if they say they probably have ghost writers, uh, but the bands like original bands like Rolling Stones, you're right, U two, Coldplay, they're their own writers. Right. And they express their own writing. You're absolutely right. You wouldn't there expect Pink Floyd
0: to sit down yeah. and go, "Whose lyrics are going? Are we going to choose for our music?" Right? That that they yeah. they they write the lyrics, or you know, a member of the band it. does. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah but let's say um, uh, th- there is a lot of Iranian bands like Kiosk, you know, that write their own lyrics, you know, Ali Azimi is a rocker whom, whom you know. Sure, uh, These guys are, you know, they write their own lyrics and they have enough knowledge about lyrics and they have enough knowledge with music that they do. There, I think there's more and more writers, lyricists uh, now than ever before. You know, before it was a... Um, You needed to have a particular talent uh, to be a lyricist, but now more people are coming out that have both uh, capabilities.
0: This is to not take anything away from the great Persian lyricists either, who've written, like you mentioned, Yagma or or Etejanati, uh, 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 Janatiya. I- I- yeah. I mean, th- these are uh, these are masters of the craft. But it's it's just curious to me that arrangement, lyrics, these things are somehow sometimes expected that they can be done by other people. They're less expected so in Western pop. Although you're right, the real pop artists. Uh, don't necessarily write the songs themselves. In fact, have teams of people <laughs> that are commissioned yeah. uh, to do that stuff for them. So uh, it, there is that. What What about in general? What do you, what have you experienced? I don't even know, is it fair to, is there a Persian music industry? Could you even say that uh, as to compare it to the, the American music industry? Or is that not even just a fair comparison to begin with?
3: It's a very niche uh, industry, you know. Obviously, there, uh, it's a it's a evolving industry. Just just is uh, you know just like the non-Iranian, it's evolving now. The reason that there is not a unified industry is because uh, inside Iran, you know, obviously uh, there's guidelines, and they don't allow the artists that are working outside Iran to enter the that industry. And as a result, there is, um, naturally speaking, an, a, a sub-industry has evolved outside Iran. For the longest time, Los Angeles was the, you know, where it was feeding uh, the Iranian diaspora, the the pop or the entertainment music, you know. But they kind of died out because they stopped giving... Um, Quality music to the uh, to the community. So, because of the internet and access to having to all the artists globally, uh, artists came out and independent artists came out that they were putting out their own music and they were being supported by TVs. So maybe four or five networks came out and they started supporting artists. But I don't think are the industry is there yet. Like we don't have one one place. To go, it's, things are a little bit scattered, but I think over time it will find its place, and I I, I hope for that day that industry doesn't become just uh, inside Iran and outside Iran, and somehow to make it work because there's a lot of talent out there, there's a lot of voices that are uh, dying uh, or aging, so I hope that this change happens and uh, doors open up for for not uh, people flee the country because they they want to be. They want to pursue their dream, you know, and so somehow find a formula that works for everyone.
0: Do you, do you ever question yourself working in Persian music? Uh, given that you've grown up in the West and that you could be um, arranging and producing in a more lucrative stream, a a bigger pool with Western music. You could uh, arrange songs with Ed Sheeran or or produce Coldplay or or Serge Tonkian again. Uh, um, What about that decision of yours? Do you ever wonder about that?
3: Yeah, for sure. Uh, But somehow I feel like the universe is pushing me into uh, giving more to the Iranian community, and I think I have, I can be a bigger change. I can have bigger impact uh, in the Iranian community than the global market. Even though you know the return of the working in the global market might be uh, a lot bigger, um, but uh, I like, I like to make change. I like to. I, I feel like I'm helping the community go, grow, especially the younger musicians. Um, I get a bigger satisfaction this way than uh, you know, uh, being a small fish in a big, you know in the big pool of big fishes and the giants. Um, I do have a bunch of material in English that I've written over the years. And uh, maybe one day when it's the right time, I'll find the right artist to produce or, you know, if I, if I find the courage to put myself out there in the American uh, scene, uh, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do it myself. I'll perform it myself. But um, mainly I think it's, uh, it's a personal satisfaction that I get being in the Iranian community.
0: You've been putting out solo records um, more recently, and I want to play something from uh, an album that you put out just in 2018 called Gozarga and this is the song "A Little Taste of Barun." Ervin Hachikian. <laughs> A little bit of the song "Barun" from Ervin's 2018 record "Gozalga." What can you tell us about that song?
3: Oh, that song! Uh, that song just uh, pretty much wraps up. Uh, Uh, a relationship that I had to part ways with. And uh, in the song, you know, I talk about uh, all the the hints of our our disagreements over even having a cup of coffee to, you know, the the romantic part to the part that you, you dislike the person. So, it's a, it's a special song for me. I think it's, it's my best song and I don't get, I personally don't get tired of it. And, you know, I, it's one of those songs that I wrote in five minutes. And so when you when it comes out that fresh and that is just an honest, uh, honest song, you know, yes. that's why it just hits home. It didn't take too much thinking.
0: It's those are always the best ones, huh? They just come yeah. out like that. Uh, in the last couple of decades, you've worked with we uh, we've been talking about this throughout this interview with people like Siavash, Rana Mansoor, Niaz. Uh You could have a very fine career, I think, being stationed in Los Angeles, working as a as a producer and arranger, um, just sitting behind a mixing board. Why decide to make solo music of your own and continue touring?
3: I uh, there's certain things that I can say with my own voice, with my own way of thinking that I cannot uh, expect another artist to do or to perform. What I like to do as a producer is to take the the beautiful parts of every artist that I've worked with, and I just let them know that the the beauties in them, and I highlight those. And if a person, you know, I have in my work and in my music videos, I have a kind of a, uh, I, I, I like to use humor to uh, say a few things. Like I, one of my uh, popular songs is called Khush which is means uh, accountable. And I wrote a song, the song is about people that borrowed money from me and disappeared. So I cannot ask Yavarshoomeshi to write a, to sing a song called up, but I can do it my own style with my own goofiness and just. So there's songs that I I keep for performers like real good performers like Niaz, and there's songs that it doesn't you know I'm I'm capable of performing and I can state what's in my mind and I do it myself. Again, I don't want to. Uh, put myself or my work uh, in a box to say, but maybe tomorrow I'll write a song and Siawesh will perform it or I'll give it to Niaz or the, the next day I might write a song that I say, hey, it's it's good for me, you know? And uh, I think the songs that I write that come from the bottom of, so for example, Barun, you know, I cannot see, you know, even though I had really good offers from uh, some of our pop artists that wanted to buy the song, and but i just couldn't part ways with it because it was just my story you know and uh even though they're better vocalists i think uh you know i i I perform it much better with my uh you know my own limitations and that's what hits uh hits with the listener
0: you talk about being inspired by people that you um who you find and then you want to work with and we're gonna go out on a song another song with uh, you and Niaz and uh, you've been working with her for a couple of years you guys put out this EP last year you've got a couple of new singles that you've put out tell me about what it is tell me what it is about her that uh, inspires you musically that drew you to her and that uh, your working relationship with her
3: And Niels has this attitude uh, of always being part of a a solution. Well, first of all, her her talent and her voice speaks for for itself. You know, she's super talented, amazing vocalist, amazing pianist and uh, writer. And uh, very early early on, two years ago, when I had my first conversation uh, with her on the phone, which I was going to invite her for a show that I was producing in San Francisco called Let Her Sing, uh, I... I did, uh, I realized that right away, you know, when I asked her, I said, call me Wednesday at 11 a.m. and she was right on time and I tested her a few times and I, because being just a good artist and artist or a singer is not good enough. You know, there's other things that come with it. So I, early on, I knew that she was super talented and I realized that she's also very, um, Punctual and she she knows how to take Responsibilities and she knows how to turn in things. I think the, that, I think that, the, that, I
0: think the colloquial term is she's got her shit together Amen, yes
3: <laughs> So Yeah, so that just led one thing led to another thing I played her a song called Chachidim behind the phone and as I was showing her the song I heard her Harmonizing right off the bat. So, you know again once again, I listened to the universe and try to trust my instinct and Next thing you know, it's been two years and we've been just working on songs. Uh, one thing I love uh, working with her is that uh, she has no ego. Uh, she, you know, she's, written some, she's written phrases, she says, oh, here, this is yours, you, know, you sing wow. this part, you, know, wow. you, you do this, you do this. And I've come from a world where people uh, feel they're entitled to the things that they don't even write or they don't even do and they take it for granted. So I really appreciate, um, I, I appreciate all the artists, you know, in in Farsi, we have this thing They say, um, If I have to translate this, who did you learn? Uh, your, uh, uh, adab means a, a, ethics, you know, who did you learn your manners from? Because it's from unmannered. So over the years, I've met a lot of artists that just feel entitled, to your work, they you know they they make it their work, and it's me you know. And so I'm grateful for those people as well because it makes me appreciate the the the, the attitude that Neon's had.
0: And um, it's it's it is indeed rare to find someone who's not possessive about their creativity. That must be a joy yeah. to work with. Yeah, and, for sure. And yeah, al- for sure. Also, it's strange. To, it's it's not often true that. Um, Pairing with a a woman's voice and a man's voice uh, works well together. You guys do work well together. It sounds nice. So um, you're on to something there, clearly. Uh, It it is... um, it's been such a great pleasure talking to you my brother thank you for doing this likewise and yeah. um, continue to make the great music we'll continue to follow you'm I'm, so, I'm so glad that Canada has been a haven for you for this uh this time but hopefully um, things will uh, get a little better in the world so you can be back to touring and we can see you back on stage soon
3: yeah thanks so much pleasure to be on your show and hope to uh, meet you in person soon
0: thank you every John
3: yeah thank you sir
0: bye-bye thank you Sean yeah what well- Erwin Khachakian, musician, songwriter, singer, producer, based in Los Angeles, currently where we reached him in Vancouver, Canada, today. This is full time for Rook. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks so much to the Rook team and our supporters. Thanks, Iran Proud. Mizun Bashin.
1: علاوهی خواه شد تو هستی من چه تو ما دنیا حکم سر نمیشد شد بیباں